Good morning. Let me ask you, when you look out at the world, what makes you passionate? What breaks your heart? What stirs you in such a way that you envision the world to be a better place? What makes you passionate? Is it art? Is it ethical business practices? Is it the unbelief of people who don't yet know Jesus? Is it the poverty in your community? Is it human trafficking, the addictions crisis plaguing our country right now? And when you look out at that, can you picture a better world? What makes you passionate? These are very important questions for disciples of Jesus. Think about this for a minute. When God looked out at the world, uh, he was so passionate. He came into it as a man to do something about it. He saw the sin and the brokenness and the divisiveness of the world and it broke his heart and he was so stirred that he showed up to offer salvation from it. We refer to Jesus's journey to the cross uh, as the passion. We have Passion Sunday when we celebrate Jesus's journey to the cross. That word passion comes from a Latin word which means to suffer to suffer. You see, Jesus went to the cross because he was suffering when he looked out at the world and he went to the cross to suffer on behalf of the world. You see, God is passionate about healing the world and he calls us to be passionate about the redemption of the world. So what do passionate people do? What do they do? Passionate people act on their passions on what stirs them, on what breaks their hearts. They set a vision and they actually go after it. That's what sets true passion apart from mere dreaming. Passion is action-oriented. Now, the Bible has a word uh, for this passion-driven action, uh, and that word is fruitfulness or bearing fruit on behalf of God's kingdom. Uh, Last week, our parable of the ten bridesmaids uh, was about preparedness, about what preparedness uh, looks like for Jesus' return. This week's parable, which follows immediately after in Matthew's gospel, um, is about fruitfulness, about the importance of fruitfulness for disciples of Jesus. You see, Jesus takes fruitfulness very, very seriously. And the parable demonstrates that. We have uh, three characters uh, who are given a different amount of talents. Now, talents in the ancient world, one talent was about half a lifetime's wages. So it's a huge amount. So even the guy who only got one talent, he got a huge amount of money and was sent out to go and make a profit with it. Now, the talents in this parable uh, are representative of the kingdom of God, of the gift of God's grace, of his forgiveness, of his adopting us into his family free of charge. That is what the talents represent in this parable. They are something of inestimable value. And uh, Matthew tells us that the first slave, he uses the words, went off at once. Now the language here implies um, an eagerness. He took what he had these five talents and he was eager to go out and to do something with them, to make a profit. He is an eager disciple. He recognizes the immensity of the gift and of the responsibility that it entails. And he makes 100% profit. This is the disciple 
Uh, in real life, this is the disciple who, responding to God's grace, immediately asks, how can I advance what my master is doing in the world? How can I be a part of that? This is the disciple who starts a project in his community to rebuild a derelict neighborhood or starts tutoring kids after school who uh, can't afford tutoring or gives elderly neighbors rides to the grocery store when they need one or collects goods for refugees who are coming into the country. He multiplies the grace he's been given by making the world a better place in his master's name. That's being fruitful. Now, we have to start uh, with this understanding of fruitfulness. Start, fruitfulness starts with relational intimacy with the master. It, it starts with relational intimacy with God, asking God how he wants me to take risks in the world, how he wants me to act on my passions. And the only way to do that is to be in his presence because, you see, Jesus' passion for the world will rub off on us only when we draw close to him. But there is a mistake that we can make. There is a mistake that we can make, and that is that relational intimacy or uh, private devotional uh, prayer life is all that we need. As long as me and Jesus are good, uh, then I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm set. I don't need uh, to do anything else. But this is a huge mistake. This is a huge mistake because that private piety, if you will, that time alone with Jesus, that relational intimacy that we spend should energize us to be sent out into the world because what we are doing is discerning his will for us and how we are to be risk takers in the world as disciples. Now, there's another mistake. And the other mistake is to over-spiritualize this idea of fruitfulness. And that goes something like this. My mission in the world is to convert souls to Jesus. Full stop. That's it. I need to get people to make a decision with their lips to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, don't get me wrong. We have a mandate to do that, to share Jesus with people and to invite them to become followers, to invite them to become disciples. And God forbid if we ever shirk that responsibility. But it doesn't end there. You see, if we think that it's just about converting souls, we miss and forget our mandate that was given to us in the creation story in Genesis to go out and make something of the world that God gave us, to make art and gardens and buildings, and cities, places where God's people can flourish and thrive. That is a part of our mandate. Jesus came not just to win souls, but to bring good news to the poor, to release captives, to give sight to the blind. You see, the gospel touches every area of people's lives, physical, spiritual, and economic. The economic sphere of people's lives should be touched by the gospel. Let me give you an example, of, a local example of how this might look in the community, this kind of fruit bearing that makes the world a better place or makes your community a better place. There's a young man named um, Ben Hoyer who started a string of coffee shops around the Orlando uh, area called Credo. That is the name of the shops. And Credo's a little bit of a strange place because when you walk in, um, there's no prices for the coffee drinks on the menu. Um, and you actually just have to name your own price for what you want to pay for your coffee drink. And uh, Ben explains that the reason that he did this is because he wanted people, when they were purchasing a coffee drink, to take a minute to stop and think about intentionally 
what it means to be invested in their community, into a local coffee shop, and to use their free will to be generous and to contribute to the well-being of the community. That is profound. That's profound. Um, not only that, um, the credo locations have become popular for meetups, for uh, new social enterprise groups that are starting up things to do good in the community. They display local artists' art on the wall. They source their coffee from farmers who they make sure are paid fairly. You see, this is a fruitful enterprise that is leading to the flourishing of the city. Now, here's the cool thing. Ben started small. Ben started small. What he did um, was eventually when he moved to Orlando, he just started volunteering with um, trash pickups in his neighborhood. And then he started volunteering at uh, the Jackson Center for Children where he uh, volunteered as an after-school um, enrichment uh, volunteer to help the kids and began to build uh, relationships with them. Now, um, I, I don't know Ben personally, but I know that he's a Christian, and I bet you that he would say that starting small was taking a talent that God gave him, a passion for the community, and multiplying it to where it ended up becoming a string of coffee shops that is actually doing a whole lot of good in the Orlando area. You see how when we are responsible with a small thing, God gives us more responsibility to bear fruit in his kingdom. Now, Christians should be concerned about their cities flourishing in powerful ways, more than anyone else. Christians should be concerned above everyone about their cities being places of flourishing. Here's why. The public work done by Christians for the good of their communities, it makes the gospel message that we proclaim plausible. It means we actually live by this stuff. We believe in a God who is redeeming all of the world, and we are set on contributing to that redemption project. And it should bless our communities. Now, here's the thing about this. It requires risk. It requires risk to do this. One Bible uh, scholar says this. I love this. He says, risk is at the heart of discipleship. Risk is at the heart of discipleship. And I would add, passion is also at the heart of discipleship. That God gives each of us passions on which we are to act. Passions that stir us and which, about which we can do something in the world. Now, back to our parable. Uh, the second character does the same. He makes 100% profit on his talents. He's a very uh, fruitful disciple. And the third, uh, the third servant does not fare so well because he acts out of fear. He is not willing to be a risk taker, and so he buries his talent based on a misperception of who his master is. He's not willing to uh, make a personal loss of time and energy to work on behalf of the master who sends him out. So out of fear, he buries his talent, and it doesn't go well for him. He's cast into what Jesus calls outer darkness. He is separated from his master's presence. Now, I don't know how to make this part of the parable more palatable. I, I don't think that Jesus intended it to be palatable because... Jesus takes our discipleship very, very seriously. He takes our call to be fruit bearers in the world very, very seriously. He is gracious and merciful indeed. Yes, he is. But what he's saying is if we prove to be fruitless for the kingdom, we're not really a part of it. It's why James, the brother of Jesus, in his book in the New Testament, says that faith without works is dead. It's dead. It's not alive. It's not real faith. Now, lest we end on a 
gloomy note, let us remember what the purpose of the parable is. Jesus, anytime he speaks of judgment in a parable, his purpose is to get us to push closer to him, to reassess our lives, to ask, where am I not bearing fruit? And where am I bearing fruit that I need to continue to bear fruit? You see, it's an invitation to draw deeper into the mission of God in the world. It's not to just simply make us feel like failures and give up. That's not what Jesus wants. He's pressing us on the seriousness of being his agents of redemption in the world. It's an invitation to joy. You see, the, the, the servants who multiply their profit, he says, I'm going to give you even more. And that's actually more responsibility because to share in God's responsibility in his mission in the world is a joy. There's no greater joy than to share in that intimacy with the Lord and what he's doing in the world. Now, maybe you're asking, what does this look like practically? What does this look like on the ground? Well, I want to just make a suggestion and say this. Fruitfulness has fundamentally to do with time. How we spend our time says a lot about our desire to bear fruit for the kingdom. It says everything about it, in fact. Uh, In 2016, last year, uh, the average American spent 10 hours and 39 minutes um, either watching TV or consuming media on their mobile devices. 10 hours and 35 minutes a day, per day, not per week, per day. Now, I don't know about you, but there are days when I fall into this category. There are days when I fall into this category. But what if, what if we just started taking a little bit of the time uh, that we spend and getting involved in a project in our community that's making our neighborhood a better place? Or what if we spent a little bit of time and energy inviting some neighbors over who we've not really yet met with and getting to know them face-to-face over a meal? What if we started teaching kids in our neighborhood art? What if we committed some scripture to memory in the evenings before we went to bed? See, there are so many ways that we could take a bit of our time, start small, to bear fruit. Now, here's the thing. God made us to be active, passionate creators. Creators. And our world encourages us more and more, increasingly, to become passive consumers. And it becomes an impediment to fruit-bearing for the kingdom. It's something that we as Christians must be very, very conscious of how we spend our time. So, what makes you passionate? What passions has God put in your heart for the world. Jesus says to those who have just a little, more will be given. Start small. Just start small. Uh, The ancient philosopher Aristotle said, where your talents and the needs of the world cross, there lies your vocation. You see, where your talents and the needs of your community meet, that's your vocation to go out and bear fruit. That's discipleship. That's discipleship, taking our skills and resources, taking the grace that we've been given and going out and meeting needs in the world in Jesus' name. And if we do that, if we take what God has given us and multiply it, we'll be bearing fruit and we will know the joy of our master. Pray with me. Gracious Father, you have given us the gift of your kingdom You say in your word that it was your good pleasure to give us the kingdom, to make us your children, to forgive us of of our sins, and to adopt us into your family. 
But with that gift comes great responsibility of being a messenger of that kingdom in word and deed in our communities. So we ask that you would empower us to do that. Speak to each one of us today as individuals and in this coming week about how you want us to take new risks, how to act on the passions that you have given us. It is in the name of your son Jesus, whose passion is our salvation, that we pray. Amen.